The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. With us for our 40th episode is fellow Pitcherless podcaster, the co-host of On The Wire and 2020 TGFBI overall winner, Mr. Kevin Hastings. We're going to talk TGFBI, we're going to talk NFBC, we're going to talk draft champions, early draft strategies, how to win an overall, what to know for 2022 and so much more. But before we get to all of that, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, what do you guys got going on with all of this uh, uh, exciting, <laughs> like the most exciting baseball news we've had on the last couple of days in November in years? Um, well, I've been really distracted because this weekend is notably also the uh, December 4th SAT, and I got a lot of kids taking that. So that's the only thing I'm allowed to think about. Kevin. There's nothing going on nearly that important in baseball, has there? What's baseball? Uh, it has been it has been uh, an unbelievable last couple of days. It, to the point that it's been so exciting that I, I think that baseball, as it explores its new CBA, and, and we'll get into all of these things as the episode goes on, should have some sort of soft December 1st deadline every year, I think, where there should be some sort of incentive for signing free agents beforehand so that we get this kind of flurry every year. It's been unbelievable. Um, I, I do feel for the people who've been trying to keep up with like the fantasy impact of this signing, uh, all those writers trying to do those blurbs, usually they have a little bit of time, and it's been one after another, after another, after another. You know, one of the things it's uh, worth keeping in mind as we compare this over and over and over and over and over again to how much fun the NBA is for their summer offseason, um, the NBA like has actual soft, hard limits on how much money teams can spend. And uh, the only reason this doesn't happen every year is because the Orioles can just choose not to sign anyone. Um, mm-hmm. So the more that maybe also a potential CBA has things like a salary floor where teams actually have incentive to spend no matter what, you know, that kind of incentivizes the sort of things. Uh, and there's like hard discussions we can have about all the different things that a nice, perfect nerd CBA has in it. But uh, <laughs> that's at least part of it. Is that like, you know, here we finally have some sort of tangible, you need to spend some money right now. Um, sort of situation where we don't typically have that. So. Sure. And uh, well, and now that too. <laughs> now, uh, now Max Scherzer is actually going to be making more than all of the Baltimore Orioles players combined next year. But uh, again, we can we can dig into that a little bit later. Uh, and we actually are going to flip our script a little bit. We're going to start with our pass fail segment and talk about uh, a bunch of these different transactions. And, and we have a list here. We might go off list because there have been so many. But before we jump the gun, uh, Kevin, I really wanted to just kind of pick your brain a little bit about how you came into fantasy baseball, uh, your connection, obviously, uh, uh, overall uh, winner in TGFBI 2020. That's that's a feat. Um, tell us a little bit about your backstory, what uh, what baseball means to you, uh, and uh, and then we'll get into a little bit about your pod. Well, I'm just a huge baseball fan. Unlike I, I see a lot of fantasy baseball players and uh, analysts, and and a lot of of guys and 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 girls have come from different 
backgrounds and but i am still a baseball fan first a kansas city royals fan second and a <laughs> fantasy baseball fan third but i'm mm-hmm. huge fantasy baseball like i i watch nearly every pitch of every royals game and if i can't i'm listening to it uh i started playing fantasy baseball in 2001 that was a 10 team points league where we only had three outfielders six pitching spots i mean very small rosters way back then uh yes we could use the internet but we didn't have sites that kept track of our scores so Mm -hmm. we did do the tallying our own scores and submitting them to the commissioner and as long as uh, there weren't any discrepancies, he didn't have much to do, but it was a daily head-to-head league. So if there was a discrepancy on who won which day, then he had to go through and calculate everything himself. So it, it started, you know, over 20 years ago now. Uh, I really got into NFBC just a couple of years ago. I started dabbling in cut lines in 2017 and 2018 and Mm -hmm. started playing more uh, over the past couple of years, mainly because I love these early season drafts. That's what got, that's what really got me to doing other leagues other than the leagues I still do with my friends. Uh, We, I think we have, we have three leagues that have a huge overlap where, Nine or 10 of the 12 of us are in all three of the 12 team leagues, but uh, I've really gotten into these others over the past couple of years. And it's because we can start doing it now. Yeah, definitely. Um, You are co-host on uh, the, on the wire pod. Um, Your, your co-host is also our podcast manager here at pitcher. Let's tell us a little bit about Adam, how, and and what you guys do together. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I met, adam when we were first auditioning to do any sort of podcast for pitchers list excuse me pitcher list yeah don't let <laughs> I, nick hear that i Ooh. know it, it, and i um, <laughs> you know what i think i did that for the first time just on our last on the wire it was the first time i'd ever made that mistake and just made it again but we were uh we were paired together that's how yep. we met paired together yeah, to okay. do our audition and we both had the same idea of what we wanted to do. And that was a fab podcast. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it worked out well and we worked well together. And uh, Nick chose us to continue as with you guys to do a podcast and left us together. So we went on with the idea that we both had. And it, it's been awesome. It's just been so much fun. It's been a year now. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's, it's an amazing. Absolute all blast to be this. able to do this. Totally, totally, and you have some pretty amazing theme music as well. I have to <laughs> yes. say, <laughs> careful. careful, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think that there are th- maybe three. I think three pods that I did the music for ours, yours, and uh, I think on the farm as well. Um, uh, so if you like them, I did it. And if you don't, uh, Alexander was responsible. Um, <laughs> sounds good to me. Yep. <laughs> uh, but before we get into our pass fail segment and talk about a lot of the, these deals and activities, uh, that has, have been going on in baseball, uh, talk a little bit about your experience in 2020 with TGFBI. Um, I think most people probably know what an overall is, but just talk briefly about kind of the concept of an overall and, and what the difference is between just like winning your league and winning an overall and, and kind of what it took to get there. Yeah. Well, with many of the NFBC leagues and some other sites have overall contests now as well, you're not just competing in your league, but you are competing against everyone in every league that's playing in that same contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, typically the rotisserie league. So you're, if there's a thousand different people in different leagues, you're scored from 1000 points down to one in every category, mm-hmm. just like you are in a 15 team league from 15 down to one. Uh, and it, it can get pretty exciting <laughs> as, <laughs> if you're uh, happen to be uh, towards the top as, as the season progresses and it can change some of your decision-making um, you you can't 
you have to be pretty well balanced. It's really hard to neglect a category. Mm -hmm. Um, that's probably the main difference. You know, if Mm -hmm. you're going into a 10, 12, 15 team league, you, you can choose to, you know, be weaker in some categories, uh, in order to be better in multiple others. Uh, it's really hard to do that when there's an overall component. I, I also understand that that tends to compound with the no trading. So the couple of categories that are hardest to find throughout the season or harder to find later in drafts typically um, kind of have this like circular like suction effect where you end up with, you know, Liam Hendricks in the third round and Adalberto Mondesi in past years pretty high as well, where then when we take our NFBC ADP and you apply that to anything that isn't going to have an overall component, you end up with some really weird results that would actually probably hurt you because the calculus is not just what gets you to win your particular league. You end up like playing some risks that reduce your chances of like beating your competitors in order to maximize your chance of beating literally everybody like is that is that like actually the way you're thinking about it as you're making choices in that sort of situation or is that just kind of like some highfalutin number nonsense from (laughs) someone like me no no that that is exactly right and also the other thing we have to remember when we're drafting right now is the the leagues that we're drafting right now and we're looking at these draft boards and and a little bit at adp uh is these are there's no fab for these leagues. The rosters we're drafting right now, you're set for the season. So mm. you brought up Liam Hendricks. We can't go pick up, you know, somebody that comes up in June and all of a sudden starts getting save opportunities. It, it's still, he's going to sit there in the player pool. Nobody's going to have no, him on the team. So that pushes these like guys the, up as well. Yeah. So that's differentiating like the, the overall leagues, like the, I don't know like, exactly the details on like the like the one league you entered that did the thing best, um, but like the stuff you're interested in right now, which is by the way like the stuff that I find also kind of more fascinating. So I'm, I'm happy to dig into that. But like you can obviously pick up closers in the fab leagues that contribute to the overall component. But is, is there like an overall for whatever type of league is that you're enrolling in right now? Yes, there is an overall in okay. those leagues okay, okay. as well. Yep. Good. Good. That sounds that sounds just absolutely wild to be like sitting there in like the twenty seventh round and be like, okay, this next guy really got a hit. Um, which is, you know, you gotta say that. Or or like, even yeah. <laughs> even later. These these drafts go fifty rounds. And mm-hmm. you would think yeah. that God the, well, the way that I originally started playing these leagues was, you know, we get, you know, thirty fifth, fortieth round, start taking some shots. That's not the way I think about it anymore. Now I'm like, who can really contribute to my team that's still available and we're 600 players in? Yeah. Or is that the the space where you start looking for who has even a chance at be, being a closer uh, or, or getting saves later in the season since I'm not going to be able to pick anybody up to do that if if they do wind up with that job? Oh, absolutely. You're going to have a couple of those guys. Uh typically uh somebody you know last year well no that's not a good example i was going to say aaron bummer was a good example but last year this time we thought he may be the closer to start the season uh but for this coming season a guy like aaron bummer right if they do if they do end up um trading um oh goodness why am i drawing a blank kimbrough Kimbrel. If they trade yeah. Kimbrel and something happens with Hendricks, okay, Aaron Bummer would be somebody that I'd like to have picked up in the 45th round, of course. Sure, sure. It's like getting excited about Hector Norris potentially <laughs> being the Astros closer for like seven weeks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I can't wait for it. Um, yeah, I, I'm. We're gonna have so many more questions on exactly that topic. You know, Hector Norris. That is, we're gonna have so many Hector Norris <laughs> questions for you. Uh, so I, I'm so excited for that. Personally. Yeah. Um, oh boy, I'm sure everybody <laughs> is. Glad you tuned in for the Hector Norris talk. 
Um, all right, well, let's take a little departure here and move on to another segment before we circle back to really talking about early draft strategy and, and everything that we can kind of glean from what's going on now. And and if you want to participate in one now, like what the approach is, we will be coming back to that for sure. Um, but I feel that we would be remiss if we went any further in the episode without doing our pass-fail segment and talking about this flurry of activity that has been going on in in the Major League Baseball realm. Um, obviously, we have an expiring CBA, which is probably contributing significantly to all of this activity. Um, Alexander, we have a list of players on our rundown. Uh, you can pick from that yes, list or you can go off list because I think at this point, there's probably a whole bunch of other players that we could talk about. Where do you want to start? What do you want to talk about? What questions do you have? Okay, so I think the best way to start with this is I think we should all uh, kind of clear the board of the big boy contracts that I think we're probably all going to give collective passes to and just fawn over how beautiful the world is for a moment hmm. um, before uh, listing off some, uh, you know, the lesser tier guys that we're like giving a pass rather than a fail to uh, before maybe closing with a couple that we're a little bit suspect of. So uh, yeah, the, the Max Scherzer one, how excited were you guys just to watch the internet uh, react to Mets fans <laughs> like that was my favorite part but like you know lots of money for max right that's incredible did any of you guys even see any of that coming not that not that yearly average oh, not at all uh it and, and i agree like one of my favorite forms of entertainment is watching met's twitter anytime something <laughs> is getting close or may or may not be getting close and and then i i think i I tweeted today Mike Curlin was was trolling on a couple of those threads and and I said Mets Twitter is one of my favorite things already and then you got Mike Curlin here trolling these guys it's like free entertainment it's <laughs> comedy gold he likes going after Matt Williams doesn't he <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I in terms of the actual deal I I was very surprised at the the AAV on that um, for those of you who haven't heard, I don't know what you've been paying attention to if you, uh, if you haven't, but it was three the years, SAT. the SAT, nah, yes, the clearly. Thing. Um, well, let's turn this into an SAT format question. No, let's not, uh, please don't Max sure. So it's three years, 130 million, which means his, his AAV, I wasn't joking before is, is as it stands right now, more than the entire Baltimore Orioles payroll, um, bigger than his age still. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, that's a significant investment. Now it's three years. So uh, I was actually listening to to Eno talk about it today, and he was kind of of the mind that like the old adage of there there there's no such thing as a bad one year deal. That in this case with this player, there's no such thing as a bad three year deal because the most you're probably going to have to wind up eating money would be like a year uh, if it doesn't go well. Uh, but that's still a lot of money. So uh, I guess my where I'm at it on that, and, and you guys can help me out with this, is what exactly needs to be a player's war to justify that kind of AAV? Um, and can any human being possibly achieve it in a reasonable way? It's pretty easy. Superstar War actually... Uh, I was having this conversation, and I promise not to make this sound too much like an SAT problem, but I was having <laughs> this light conversation with uh, Mikey Ahedo online, and mm -hmm. basically, the better you are, you actually get paid slightly more per win. I have a couple different like ways of looking at this math-wise. His suggestion is more as like, it it's kind of like a quadratic equation mm -hmm. where it like scales up over time. I know what My that way is. of looking at it, yeah, yeah, so it's like, for each additional win you also get a couple more dollars per win on top of it. It's kind of cool. Um, another way to look at it that I was suggesting is that uh, we're probably improperly using war there a little bit in that like true market replacement isn't the same as like triple A quad A replacement. So it's almost like you should kind of like you give them like six million, five, six million for the first win and then like 10 to 12 for each win thereafter, and you probably more accurately get it. But either way, if you're paying someone $43 million a year, I'd, I'd estimate they probably need to be like a, on average, 50th percentile outcome, somewhere in the range of a four to five win player. Um, I should also note that like, you can 
get hurt, miss part of the season, but still be that good and then be that good in the playoffs and probably it pay off. Um, I think that's worth noting here, though, that if you're a huge contract like that and somehow Steve Cohen doesn't like fight like crazy to get the the um, competitive balance tax like hiked up like you should um the actual cost of max scherzer contact contract could be more in the range of 100 million dollars a season or greater mm. <laughs> i'm not That's exactly sure how the dcba will be that bit. um but <laughs> max scherzer could be worth 100 million dollars in a season like he is good enough to do that um you know you it's like literal greatest season of your career stuff to do that but he's still good enough to be in the let's peg it at like 12 million a win and you know he's only got to be an eight win player then that i mean that'd be like a what corbin burns just did basically or a little bit better but like that's not out of the mix for him so yeah no he's like absolutely the sort of player that you pay that money to and it's not insane and the only thing they think that would actually have been insane about that is uh you know some sort of scenario maybe where they had an opt out after one year <laughs> rather than two. Yeah. They, they definitely needed to lock him up for multiple years because, uh, you know, I think old dudes like him are not actually that old. I think they're superhuman. There's no way Mad Max is human, right? Yeah. He's not aging. It certainly seems like he's he's got that Nelson Cruz gene. Um, uh, Kevin, uh, again, from this list of players, is there somebody here that stands out to you that you'd like to talk about or, or any contract really that, that really uh, struck you? The, the first one you had listed is really intriguing to me, being Byron Buxton, just mm-hmm. because of the health. You know, yeah. it, it, if we're looking at somebody getting seven years and they've it, it's been five years once the 2022 season comes around since he's had over 271 at-bats in a season. Mm-hmm. That's that's insane to me. <laughs> Five years since he played even half of a season. Uh, obviously, when he is healthy, uh, he, he's been he's been worth that. But and that that five years ago is the only time in his career that that he's played much more than half of a season. So that really blows my mind because it's not like. I'm a Royals fan. So Salvador Perez comes to mind, right? He missed an mm-hmm. entire season with a torn ACL, but that was carrying luggage off of the bus. And then he missed half right. of the short in 2020 season with a, an eye issue, right? Neither one of these occurred while he was playing baseball. Byron Buxton gets hurt multiple times every season while he's playing baseball. Right. And so I can't see a, a nine figure contract for someone like that. Yeah, it's, it's striking to me that a lot of the ways he gets hurt are like the same sort of ways that like Fernando Tatis Jr. gets hurt, where he's just giving 110%. And so that means his body hits the wall or the turf or whatever it is. And, you know, there are guys who never get hurt and play all the time because they just always play 80%. And like, it's terrifying. But at the same time, like the idea of Byron Buxton giving 110% for like, 130 games in a single year could almost like pay for that entire deal like it's it's insane how talented that dude is and i i know that there are going to be some minnesota fans who are just frightened and then really angry when he gets hurt like next july or whatever (laughs) but like he's gonna have so long to pick up that value i'm really glad that someone of his talent is going to lock up that money there is a significant chance he's ends up being underpaid um, but I'm just happy that for someone like him, like exactly that sort of deal makes a lot of sense. And and I just hope that he is really good and like there's some incentives. Like yeah, that's, there, that's my ideal. A lot of incentives. I think the contract has the potential to almost double, right? If he's, I think if he's so. healthy, I think that's how they, they structured it. It's very interesting. Um, so Alexander, I'm going to put you to it on the Max Scherzer deal that you brought up, pass or fail. It sounded like it was pretty obvious that you're. I would say not just a pass, but that is an A-grade deal for all involved. Well done, Max. And Matt, <laughs> I guess. And, uh, and Kevin on the Byron Buxton, pass or fail? Gosh, I, I hope it ends up being a pass, but I, I'm just afraid it ends up being a fail. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it's it's definitely risky. It does seem like the way they structured it, though, mitigates that risk, and, and they're invested at a level that is below his ability. Um 
but maybe above the waterline in terms of how many games they'll play. Um, this is what I want to bring up. What is going on in Texas? What what are the Rangers doing all of a sudden? It's like they smelled a little blood in the water with the Astros maybe being a little vulnerable, and they're like, yep, that's it. We are all and They got all the shortstops. What, 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 what do you think is going on out there? I'm going to, Alexander, I'm going to throw it to you because you're our resident Texas expert. So, um, I'd like to first and foremost say ye and also ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like I grew up at an hour and a half away from the ballpark in Arlington, uh, whatever they ended up calling it at different points. I never cared. Um, so the new Walmart in Arlington, uh, looks a whole lot more nice to go to. I don't know if I'll ever make it there just cause like I have to be in Texas in the summer again, but yeah, who wants to do that? But they have a gigantic stadium that just opened up, and there are a whole lot of people who like to watch baseball in the Dallas area that would be happy to go to that stadium. And having a good team in that stadium, regardless of competition, is a good business idea. And that's just it. Like, if you're good, people show up, and your team starts to pay for itself. The Texas Rangers should try to be good at baseball because being good at baseball is a really good business decision. And as long as you're not, like you know someone who's like really bad at running a team it's a way to survive like the rockies make a lot of dumb decisions every year and we like talk about a lot of that but they're like the number of people they put into coors field every year is gigantic um and they always try in their own way (laughs) and it doesn't always work but there's this part of me that's just like we're almost being a bit stupid by playing smart when we say that teams should lose on purpose the texas rangers should not try to lose games they should try to get as many people to show up and then flex their muscle to just blow the al west out of the water because like Artie moreno is also going to do dumb things for the angels (laughs) you you see where this goes right so i'm really happy they're trying i really hope that they come just short of being great so that i can watch some fellow dallas people be upset because that's really fun too you guys think mets twitter is fun <laughs> irl dallas sports fans <laughs> cowboys fans like imagine angry cowboys fans but for baseball that's that's what i mean. so i'm happy so there. but why all of a sudden uh do you think this is like the thing it, it was smart last year to win too right why now are they are they got uh, who, who all did they get let's let's go through the names they got semi hold on a second can i right? can i pause before you you talk about the players they got they got a new general manager last year, Chris Young, who is former actual Texas Ranger and had been pl- working yep, for the, yep, yep. like MLB front office. He is a very smart dude, and I think they like have a lot of invested reason to try to win, and he is going to make it happen. So and he was that's just a tiny bit of it. Able to convince the owner to open up the uh, the purse strings. Well, listen, these so. are names; these are are big time players. Uh, Semyon, right? Um, they got Corey Seager today. Uh, help me out. So who else did they get? John Gray. John Gray. Oh, yep. I love that deal. Yes. There's one more, isn't there? Uh, Cole Calhoun. Uh, oh, right. Right. Cole <laughs> yes. Calhoun. Yeah, that's the one. So, I mean, all just this blitz of activity if, in the last, honestly, in the last 24 hours before, uh, Gossman and, and Ray kind of went, um, it was like all Rangers all the time. I basically was like, if if somebody signed, I'm assuming they're going to Texas unless you tell me otherwise. Like it, it was it was it was crazy. So I mean, I guess you're shining a little bit of light on on why that might have happened and, and which direction they're going. But that's a that's a team that's that's suddenly gone from meh to wow. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it's not going to be a very profitable idea to bet the over on them next year. I'm sure sports books are going to make a whole lot of money on people betting on the Rangers to be better than they actually will be. Uh, but I really, really have to stress that the Dallas area sports fan market is gigantic. DFW is like not that much smaller than Chicago and Chicago has two teams yeah. and both of them <laughs> spend an asinine amount of money. Not really. They they could spend more. Uh, but like, in terms the, of real dollars for for yeah, you or yeah, me, yeah, it's an yeah, asinine yeah, amount right. of money. <laughs> yeah, no, the Rangers could be in that stratosphere. Like the Rangers and the Astros are in two of the largest media markets and in a place where people love baseball. They should be spending two hundred plus million dollars a year. And the Rangers finally getting back on board is like should well, be. Happening. The Rangers have some some significant arms in the system too that are that are uh, going to be coming yeah, up Jack, in the next. Jack Leiter should right? be like next year, not like twenty twenty three win Probably. right 
Um, there's a couple, I mean, listen, at least with guys with potential, you never know, especially with, with, uh, prospect pitchers, but, um, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about a couple more people. We'll do this kind of rapid fire. Uh, Kevin, uh, what do you think about, uh, Gossman and Ray? I, I'm a fan of the Gossman deal in spite of the, the bit of concern about going back to the AL East. Mm -hmm. I thought that Nick Pollock was going to fire me a couple of weeks ago (laughs) when, when he joined Adam and I on, on the wire. And I, I, I said, are we just going to ignore Robbie Ray's 90 plus percent left on base percentage? And I I thought I was going to get fired on the spot. I, I, (laughs) there's a lot of outliers for the 2021 season for Robbie Ray. I'm not, I'm not buying in, especially for, what he is where he's going in fantasy leagues for 2022 mm-hmm. yeah 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 sure, i'm fully with you i think i it's, think that if you go ahead okay, no go okay, ahead Alex. go for it oh, okay. i was just gonna say i think it's nice when you can point to a demonstrable change but it's also incredibly fair to look at some of those things and say you know he struggled for a long time he then he then he wins a cy young um what's a reasonable expectation for next year what's the most likely outcome rather than the one we all kind of hope for um and i think it's confusing because those are kind of things that pull you in opposite directions right like he made this change it was a decision he chose to do something and it worked and (laughs) he also had these things that are probably unsustainable um just from a a sheer luck standpoint so it it definitely is going to be interesting so alexander i'm really sorry that i cut you off there I think the one thing that we should at least say is like another mark in his favor is he did all that against the AL East, regardless of your opinions on their quality. The Orioles lineup is like pretty okay. The Yankees lineup is about as good. Um, and the Red Sox and Rays are actually good. Plus the stadiums he had to pitch in and everything else. Like it's not inconceivable to imagine a slightly weaker opponent quality. Um, and probably a much nicer home park for his own circumstances, at least counterbalancing some of the left on base luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not Seattle can kind of like do the same things that Toronto's coaching staff is doing for him. So, uh, you know, it's a huge risk and I just hope it pays off for him. I'm so happy that he got a bunch of money. And also <laughs> maybe the Diamondbacks are just really bad at coaching pitching. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, anything's possible, right? Um, but it, it does remain to be seen. I think the point, Kevin, you're making, though, in terms of draft capital. So there's like two things, right? What do we think is likely for Robbie Ray? Are we cheering for Robbie Ray? Are we rooting for Robbie Ray? And are we drafting Robbie Ray? Those are all very different things, depending upon what the opportunity cost is at that price point, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm rooting for Robbie Ray. Uh, I, he's just not going to be on any of my fantasy teams. <laughs> <laughs> rooting for him to beat you. Uh, any uh, any last thoughts on this pass fail segment where we only really did a couple of pass fails, but it was still really interesting to talk about. Um, like you sniped my John Gray discussion out from under me. Um, I apologize uh, that's, for that. That is as well. one of my biggest passes. I'm so happy for him uh, to be leaving the Rockies. Yes. I think he's got an immense amount of talent, uh, and it's pretty clear that his success in Coors is a product of him building his game a little bit around how to pitch well in Coors. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's making some of those obvious choices, I got to do things to succeed, tells me that he's probably going to be willing to make some other changes when he moves not there. Um, and also, like, people are going to make a lot of weird comments about, like, the home road splits for them. They're just not ever accurate for these sorts of guys i'm really excited for him i said that uh some air quotes smart team was probably going to sign them to be like or sign him to be like their number two pitcher and i think the rangers might just kind of fall backwards into a situation like that if they're not careful which is (laughs) well uh but i i do think that he's actually got the talent that like you know if you're not doing that to be cheap and you're just doing that because you don't have anybody like he's a good guy to try to spend I, I mean, I don't, that's not low market. Fifteen million a year, roughly, is well, it's considerably more than the Rockies were apparently offering. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's not cheap. <laughs> uh, but he can, he can, I think, quite easily outpace that. He could be a, a two to three win guy instead of like the one and a half or so that his contract would kind of suggest that they expect him to be on average over the next four years. Yeah, I, I was actually kind of hoping the Sox, the Red Sox, would be in on him. 
Um, yeah. it's Everyone a shame. should have wanted that. It's a shame that they that they weren't. Um, I want to bring up one more thing, and it happened today. And Kevin, I bring this up because I think it's a nice segue back into what we're going to be talking about after our uh, short break. Uh, the Pirates DFA'd Colin Moran today. Um, and I, I've always kind of felt like he is one of those guys that in the right place, in the right setting could really flourish, uh, maybe not, you know, be MVP caliber, but, um, I think, uh, I, 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 uh, tweeted it out today, uh, like a CJ Cronesque kind of thing that in the right place, in the right setting, in the right time, he could really, uh, flourish. And, and I bring him up because first of all, I kind of want your thoughts on, on where you think he might be a fit, but also because he seems to me also like that kind of player that late in one of those 50 round drafts, um, in the last couple of years, you might have had, had him on your radar a little bit for, uh, an unsexy name that could really contribute to some categories. Yeah, definitely. And it, it depend it will depend on his landing spot, of course. And, and sure. The direction I thought you were going when you brought that up was I'm really interested in Yoshi Tsutsugo now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is Mm -hmm. probably locked into that two spot in their lineup and being in the top third of the lineup for a bad team is fantasy gold, right? If he's locked in there last year, exactly. If he's going to get 600 plus plate appearances, you know, he only had 146 plate appearances, I believe, for the Pirates. Um, and in the last month and a half of the season, hit eight home runs, hit two close to 270. If he's going to be locked into that two spot and give us 600 plate appearances at that, that's what I'm looking at. And Colin Moran could do similar depending on where he lands. Unfortunately, right. if he lands with a competitor, he might be more of a utility guy. Right, right. Um, but so Susugo is where I'm going with that move today. Yeah, that's, that's fair too. That, and I was going to shift a little bit to that, but I, I think that, um, you know, I don't know with all this movement, it always matters where somebody lands, but I feel like I don't, if you were just in a vacuum, if Moran lands in, in Colorado, um, or he lands somewhere where he's going to get some, some playing time and have some access to, to really use that, that, uh, that power that he's got. Um, I, just somebody I want to keep my eye on for sure as a, as one of those like absolute round And sleepers. he's got a little yeah. bit of pedigree too. He was the centerpiece yeah. of the Garrett Cole deal from the Astros. <laughs> That's, it's always funny to go back and look at stuff like that. You know, Joe Musgrove, the real centerpiece of that deal, who the Pirates also got rid of later on. All right. So we are going to move on and talk about our central question, which really is geared towards. Uh, the right strategy in air quotes, again, the, the visual thing that we like to do on this audio podcast, the right strategy for early season drafts, um, what kind of the thought process is, how to approach it. Uh, but before we get to that, we are going to take a small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back. So, Kevin, one of the things you were talking about before was how these kind of early season drafts got you kind of sucked into the whole idea of doing the the NFBC thing. So what exactly do you uh, – what's your mindset going into these? What is it that you're trying to um, to do to make sure that you're building a team so far ahead of spring training and, and all sorts of information that we're going to have even before we know where players are going to be? What's the uh, just kind of the 30,000 foot view approach to a draft at this stage of the offseason? 
I think it's it's a whole bunch of little things add up to a big thing. I, I, I say that all the time on on the wire. So that there's so many little things I try to keep track of, but the, the biggest thing is trying to find any differences in what I believe playing time will be for players opposed to the projections as they start to come out. Because the first thing everybody looks at is steamer because they're the first ones mm-hmm. to come out. Todd Zola's master's ball comes out on November 1st every year. People have those projections in front of them. People make their own projections and the advantages and disadvantages to that are if the playing time is projected incorrectly. So that's the first thing I look at. Are there players I think are going to have more playing time? It doesn't necessarily have to be playing time. It can be spot in a lineup. I I think uh, a couple of years ago when he was still in in Baltimore, it was pretty widely uh, believed that Hanser Alberto was going to move to the top of the Orioles lineup when Jonathan VR left and the, the projections didn't, didn't reflect that they were, he was still being projected for the same amount of runs scored that he'd been scoring when he was hitting at the bottom of the lineup. So that that's just one example in the, of the types of things I'm looking for. Uh, what, where are the, projections maybe close as as projections can be on a per at bat basis but incorrect on that number of at bats so when you're doing this and you're talking about projections and and even really early adp what's useful there what what can i if i go and i look at there's been 22 draft champions drafts or 23 at this point, something like that. And I go and I look at that NFC ADP. What what can I use that for? I really only look at the minimum pick. I do not look at the average. Uh, I mean, a lot of people talk about this. I think Justin Mason says it best. 14 out of 15 of those people that are figured in, that's 93% of that ADP are people that are not winning their league. So... Hmm. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. I do look at the minimum just so I get an idea of where I think I have to make my move. Okay. So what numbers are you looking at that you put some credibility into? I know you were talking about uh, like uh, projections for appearances and things. Um, What about actual performance data, especially so early uh, in in the off season? When, when it's early and prior to projections coming out, uh, I remember a couple of years ago at First Pitch Arizona, Todd Zola saying, you know, as, as all these projection systems typically are pretty similar. And when we start seeing more and more of them, I start looking for outliers, but they're usually mm-hmm. pretty similar. And just as similar as any of those projection systems is a three-year weighted average. So prior to projection systems coming out, I do my own very crude three-year weighted average just to get an idea. And it's pretty close to what projections are Mm -hmm. when they do start coming out. That's what I look at for performance. I am trying really hard to get less and less bias because I watch a lot of baseball and I'm Mm -hmm. trying to... I got much better at fantasy football when I quit watching football eight years ago, and I'm tr- <laughs> but I'm not going to stop watching baseball. Like I said, right. I'm a baseball fan first, but right. I'm really trying to take those biases out. So, you know, the, the thing you said about a three-year weighted average is really interesting. I think it's Tom Tango who uh, took – I'm too young to know the reference here, technically. I, I just saw it on my computer screen and clicked past it and then immediately forgot what it is, but – uh, see so the, the Marcel the monkey projection system. What is that? A, what is that a reference to? What is, is that okay? I don't uh, know. Is that the the name of the little monkey thing that that bangs the symbols together? Oh, okay. I, I went back. Toy? It is the name of a monkey in an episode of Friends. Oh yeah, Bio. yeah yeah. Okay, okay. yeah Marcel. Okay. I thought okay. I, I, I thought that I that was. <laughs> I thought that the Friends name was a reference to the same thing as this. I didn't realize oh, he was okay. referencing well, Friends. Okay, maybe it was. I have no idea. I. 
I didn't watch Friends. Um, but yeah, so his Marcel the Monkey forecasting system basically is what he like defines as like the baseline level of competence for like what a, a projection system needs to do. You take a three-year weighted average, you give more weight to the most recent year than the years prior to that. And based on that, if you just like assume that every single uh minor league player is just going to be like some level of close to but maybe below league average like that does not fare markedly worse than the best projection systems that are publicly available right now and basically the only differences are going to be like having significantly better data about stat cast ish stuff and just knowing how many games someone is going to play and that's basically all that better or worse projection systems do um so when you say you're doing a three-year weighted average and that it's basically doing the same thing, there is a whole lot of data to back up that approach. And that data itself is kind of just like a gigantic LOL to all of the effort that people like us go into, like marginally chipping away at better predicting future performance. It's hysterical, it's sad, and it's beautiful. I'd say all at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, so, you know, you have all these projection systems and, and, Several of them, the, the creators have set up their algorithms and, and, and they're, they're great and they all do certain things better than others, or at least have historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then, then you have your aggregates like ATC, Ariel Cohen does a great job with that. And it was really funny at this year's First Pitch Arizona, Ariel Cohen and Derek Cardi we're, we're doing a live broadcast of the, the Beat the Shift podcast. And I asked if there was any anything they would take into account that would make them go against their own projection. <laughs> and Derek Cardi's response to me was perfect. And it's what I'm really going to try to remember in 2022. And as I'm drafting right now for 2022, his response was, why would you want to? And that hit me pretty good. Because yep. the first article I ever wrote for Pitcher List last season, early January, was what projections were vastly different from ADP at that time. Mm-hmm. And literally every player I mentioned, whether they were higher ADP than their projections or lower, ended up panning out that way. Mm. It, it, so that actually leads me into my next question. As we get more of these drafts and more of these we get more data, whether it's ADP or whether it's information about where players are going to land and, and opportunities, you know, the, the distance between what's going on in December and what's going on in February can be pretty significant. What is it that you're looking for in terms of trends as more of that information does become available? It's, it's not as much what I'm looking for. It's more of what I'm reacting to. Okay. Typically, if you start, if if there's players you liked at a spot you were getting and you notice that's not going to happen anymore, I I really try to change gears, shift gears, go mm-hmm. a different direction. Right. Uh, one example: a couple of years ago, um, I was getting in these early drafts, I was getting you Darvish in the fifth and sixth round in February and March, he was going in the third. I'd stopped drafting him. Yeah. Uh, so that's just an example. Uh, just try to pay attention to the trends. I, I remember, and, and I promise this is on topic and not just me trying <laughs> to drag people, the names of whom I do not even remember. Uh, it was some fan graphs adjacent podcast. I, that's the best I can remember. And, and honestly, the advice they gave was hysterically accurate. Anyway, uh, they, they were like doing a uh, pre main event here are the dudes we think are going to shoot up the boards by like 15 bicks and when you should grab them because they might win you your league. And like the advice is like, I think it was something like Tatis was like at the back of the second. They're like, you should take him the first till win your league. And he did. Um, and then they were also like, Austin Meadows is going in like the third round. Should you consider him at the top of the second? And you're like, yeah, you got to do it so you can win your league. And like, he was really bad. <laughs> and like, <laughs> obviously, those are dart throws for dudes who are going to massively outperform projections and stuff like that. There's like, hey, you should pay for the 80th percentile outcome because if he hits the 100th, you're going to win. And it's like, it sounded like hysterically bad advice to me at the time. And obviously, it paid out the same way in its own weird way. And it, I can't 
consistently wrap my head around how to try to think about that sort of like i'm going to figure out where to not be in the middle sort of thing because you say this where would i want to ignore a projection and i think the answer is actually really simple if you don't the the odds are you're going to finish in the middle and you have to take calculated risks other than just chipping away at the edges uh to maximize your chances in that mfbc context to increase your odds of um landing somewhere along the extremes um and i cannot wrap my head around being in that situation personally because i don't want to play those leagues but <laughs> but at the same time i, I think there's the answer yeah and and when ariel expanded on that when Derek carter said why would you want to ariel said well if if i thought for some reason or i saw uh, something that made me believe the the playing time was going to be different. We've already talked about that. Um, a couple of years ago, a big one for me was I heard Eno Saris on Rates and Barrels one day said that barrels aren't included in any of these projection systems. Well, now that's not true. Now the bat X is out there from Derek Cardi that is included mm-hmm. in that. But at that time, that's exactly where I went. I went to my projections and I started looking at any outliers and in, in guys with barrel rates that were that may change you know and i know alexander has a a lot of opinions on barrel rates but at at the time (laughs) knowing that they weren't included in projections at all that that was important to me just to make everyone feel better the difference between like the the good barrel rate and the bad barrel rate is actually really small relatively speaking so you're probably doing also you can find good barrel rate on Statcast. so i have less qualms there but yeah i remember that was like the hey Nick Castellanos is not going to play for the Tigers anymore, and the projection systems don't understand how often he barreled the ball there. Maybe you should draft draft Nick Castellanos. Perfect example. Yeah, it's. I had a bunch of guys that were on my list that past couple years like that, and not all of them worked out. Or you know, I drafted Kyle Schwarber the wrong year, basically. (laughs) But like, (laughs) there have been these obvious. The numbers are not gospel. They're made by humans who have limited access to reality, and it's really hard. Uh, and yeah, I, I think those those caveats aside, you think then like how much better was the bat X than anything else out there? Actually, quite a bit better. But like still, like just using that versus like drafting full in a room full of guys who are using kind of like some doing steamer and some doing you know like just classic the bat and some people doing you know like ATC. Like you aren't gonna guaranteed win your league or anything you're gonna like probably on average finish like fourth or fifth instead of just on average finishing six and a half out of 12 like it's it's not that big of a difference it's everything else and just a ton of luck so that said i'm really curious to see like what are the a ton of lucks we are going to try to parse out of some of this early data that we can kind of hope that everyone is also wrong or someone's playing time is going to break weird or because that, that's that's where this fun part is is like we're all at this point just gambling on who else is really wrong being about projections or just the entire crowd not knowing that some dude's good <laughs> uh before we move on to uh to our off the book segment where we're going to talk a little bit about uh prognostications around the new cba i got one more question for you kevin if you were going to say what is the biggest difference in approach to these NFBC overall early season drafts and the traditional home league in uh, late February draft, what's uh, what's the biggest difference? Uh, we talked about it a little earlier. It's that there we, these early drafts are all of the format that we don't have fab. So the the guys we draft right now are who we're stuck with the entire season. Even more importantly, uh, we can't add players that are not on anybody's radar right now. And mm-hmm. then in June, we all want them. We can't <laughs> add them at all. Yeah, that's uh, it, for me, that would drive me absolutely nuts. Um, I like the idea of kind of that like best ball format where you can kind of set it uh, and, and not have to, to um, set your lineups all the time, but that's not even this, right? So it's, to me, it's like the, the stressful part of both worlds where you don't get to pick up those players at all. And you still have to set the perfect lineup. 
that feels for me like a lose lose, but uh, it's really impressive. Uh, those of you who do it really well and, and manage it really well. So I really appreciate you letting us pick your brain. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, I think it's, it's deeper water than I'll ever be able to swim in, but uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about. It's really, really intriguing. Um, let's move into our off the books segment. And, uh, Alexander, I'm going to let you go first. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the new CBA. And, and I know that you've talked in previous episodes, like what you kind of want to see out of it. Uh, what do you think are the most likely changes? Like, like, uh, kind of splitting the difference between like your ideal and what you think is the most likely. And and is there anything going on with this flurry of activity that maybe, maybe kind of signals to you that that they know that something might be on the horizon that we don't yet? So I think to like predict what's going to change, it's pretty obvious to just go back to what they screwed up most last time, like what the players <laughs> screwed up most last time. So uh, last time there was CBA arguments, 2016, question mark? Something like that. Uh, one of the things the players did really horrendously badly is that they ta- did not allow for any inflation of the uh, competitive balance tax line. So it's about $200 million, and it's been $200 million for five years, and revenues have been going up. It was too low then, and it's just hilariously too low now. Matt, you may not have heard this thing where the Boston Red Sox traded Mookie bets. <laughs> Who? That was an unintended consequence of the fact that the competitive balance tax was set too low uh, and that allowed le- owners to pay significantly less money for like compared to like the amount of money they were taking in compared to what they could have paid. And it meant that a lot of the teams at the top that could honestly afford to run $250, million, $300 million payrolls, like financially survive that and be good. Just didn't. They pocketed the cash and that we'd seen the detriments to that. Uh, that's an obvious and easy thing to like target if you're the players because that's meant that like some of the top end guys have definitely still got paid but it's really squeezed the middle in terms of paydays Mm -hmm. and i think that's been a big problem so if you're talking about like who the players union represents in these talks there's definitely some question marks about how much of a voice rookies are going to have uh i think that the players on the executive subcommittee are a little more aware of kind of like this environment and what matters than maybe they have been in past years where their biggest priority has been like better food and like nicer hotels and stuff like that um so it's pretty obvious i think that the players are going to fight for the tax line to go up and the contracts that are happening are our clearest day indication that that is probably happening um like the mets and a couple of other big players but the mets probably are a signal that (laughs) There is not going to be a $200 million tax line. I would bet it would be closer to 250 than 200 though that's probably a bit high. I, I'm kind of like wish, wish casting a bit there. But it, I mean, it would make sense. The teams can afford it. And with the amount of money they're going to start making on like gambling and stuff too, expect that to be part of it as well if the players are competent at all. So um, that's that's kind of like a, a sign of the future. I would also kind of think the Wander Franco deal and a couple of the other like teams locking up players to like team-friendly-ish deals based off of like how the current CBA works might tell me that it's not going to be as easy to uh, keep like a grade 80 grade or 70 grade guys even like you know like the 55 to 60 60 grade guys uh, under contract forever without paying them I think we're going to see some meaningful change to service time or arbitration in some way I'm not assuming that it's going to mean we're going to massively hike off the minimum salary or anything like that or and I don't honestly I don't think the players are going to agree to a salary floor either. Uh, that's kind of my impression is that that would just be uh, that would require them to also give up a bunch of leverage elsewhere is at least what I'm hearing. Um, but, you know, I think you can basically assume the total amount of money that the biggest team spends go up. That makes it harder for teams like the Rays and the Orioles and the Guardians and whoever else to be cheap. And that you know, just kind of changes like the, the meta, if the league, if we're talking about this in like stupid video game terms, uh, which, you know, it's all a simulation anyway. And so that, sure. that feels right. Right. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you with, with uh, a different spin on this in, in terms of what you would like to see. If it, What's your ideal outcome here? Ideally, I'd really like to see 
the the team control of young players go down unfortunately mm-hmm. i i i don't see that happening too much maybe maybe the super two goes away so you can't get that seventh year uh but i i don't see that happening much but ideally that's what i want to see i want to see adley rutschman playing in 2021 uh yeah. i want to see bobby witt jr playing in 2021 i i i don't think there's going to be drastic changes to that um because you know the the the, the veterans are are the ones in in charge of the union uh and which is why right. i agree with everything alexander said max scherzer's heavily involved he knows what's yeah. going on yeah he he knew to sign that contract today uh or yesterday um I, one thing i and will Semyon, say and Semyon too yeah yeah sure. absolutely um and lindor for that matter as well also on the executive subcommittee yeah and the the only big thing the players have to give up is expanded playoffs so we will get that there will be expanded playoffs. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of what the players get in return for it. There was a proposal that I saw today. Somebody's talking about like a 14 team deal. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see that? I did where the, the number one seed in each league gets a buy. Uh, the other division winners choose in order of record who they play in a three game series. Uh, yeah. Something along those lines is what we're going to end up with. It's interesting. I, I think I can survive with the best teams getting a bye because that so substantially increases your odds of succeeding in the playoffs. Like each round you have to play functionally cuts your winning your chances of winning the World Series in half. So like the wild card dodging you know, the wild card is a huge, huge incentive. We saw that with how the Giants and the Dodgers acted this year, despite the fact they both had excellent teams. So I like things that force the very best teams to try harder and i think that's a pretty good way to keep um teams like the dodgers and yankees and mets i would hope to like continue to spend as much as they possibly can while still giving an avenue for like teams like the royals to seriously pursue the playoffs and hope they can get hot um I think that that's a pretty good world. Uh, the The worst version of that world is obviously one where we enable teams like Matt, close your ears, the Red Sox to do dumb things and then still get away with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a worry that if you find yourself caught between like the top tier and the middle tier, they just play at middle tier. And maybe we don't see as many Padres realities where they like go for it. But, you know... I, I think that's something that the players are well aware of and they can probably play their hand. I trust that if you're Francisco Lindor and you saw how much Cleveland's ownership has just done dumb things, if you're um, Max Scherzer and you've seen how much smart and like competitive teams will actually pay for your services, if you like give them incentive to, you know, if you're Marcus Simeon and you've seen the A's, you can see where they're going with this. It's a different world now where I think they're, a little bit more aware of like how they're not the only people involved. And I, I don't, I don't see a world where like they're operating in the same level of like pulling all the strings. Good faith. Mastery is like, I say good faith, good faith for the rest of the players. Mastery is like Chris Paul in the NBA, but I think they're getting much closer to it than they have been in a while. And that's really hard. And I, I'm glad that I have a Max Scherzer uh, jersey in my closet still. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to do one more thing before we uh, we have to call it an episode, unfortunately. I'm going to set the over-under at June 15th. Do we have baseball before or after? Are we going over or under? Alexander? I would have said that's close a while ago, but I feel like... I feel like I'm getting more and more like noise from reporters who seem to have a pulse on this and aren't just carrying water for the owners that they really don't want to miss any games. And that is a pretty, pretty significant uh, incentive. So I, I think we missed some spring training games, but I think we, I think we are playing baseball in late April. Okay. So Alexander's taking the under Kevin. Uh, I'm under as well. Maybe even more so. I, I don't, there will definitely be a lockout. Uh, it will go back and forth. We'll we'll get the owners trying to leak some things and get public support on their side as we always mm-hmm. do. But you know, we we have 
we have two and a half months before pitchers and catchers report. I see this getting, I see it getting worked out shortly after the first of the year. And I think we have spring training on time. Well, I hope that both of you are right. I'm a little bit more pessimistic that uh, people are going to dig in their heels over, over some things. And once you've missed some games, why not miss a few more? Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't, I think I probably am hopeful for the under, I think the under is probably the most likely outcome, but I, I, I do see a world where somebody really gets stubborn and, and these owners that have plenty of money to, to kind of with, withstand the, uh, the siege of the castle, um, can, can kind of dig in, in their heels. Uh, final thoughts before we, uh, we wrap up here. Right. This is just the most specific and dumb thing, but I, I will say a, a thing that makes me feel optimistic about all of this is that there are gate receipts to be collected. And that was not the case during the pandemic when the owners screwed around the players about the number That's of true. games played. And there is a reason that the Texas Rangers are going in right now and not last year. And that is that we know that there is going to be 100% capacity the entire season in Texas at the very least. Uh, and like probably yeah. pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. I hope God, I hope. And that's going to matter. Uh, they do not want to miss a single one of those 40,000 person sun- Saturday games. And they are going to do everything they can to get all of that cash. Um, and that was not the case in the middle of 2020 when the TV revenue was already set in stone. They'd signed that contract a while ago. And, you know, things scaled around, I'm sure, with that, but not nearly the same way that gate receipts matter. So I am hopeful that the money grubbing owners who are currently, uh, I think, splitting a little bit. I think you're going to see Cohen kind of forcing some divide there among the ownership between like the Cubs side of things where it's like collect our cash and whatever versus his side of things where it's I will spend my cash. I would like a ring, please. Um, I'm hoping that splits some things and I do think gate receipts will matter tremendously. So that is my cause for optimism. I don't generally feel optimistic when people could just choose to make money instead of doing the right thing. But I think at least in this case, they're more aligned than usual. (laughs) All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being a part of this and, and talking through some things that, uh, we haven't really talked about before on our, on our podcast. Um, before we do go, please let the people know where they can find you uh, on, on the interwebs and, and the work that you're doing and your podcast and all that. Uh, plug your stuff. Yeah, it's uh, just my name backwards on Twitter. I'm at Hastings Kevin. Uh, I can be found on On the Wire with co-host Adam Howe. He's at 80 grade on the Twitter as well. Uh, we do a weekly fab podcast that comes out bright and early every Sunday morning in season. We're doing every other week in the off season here for a couple of months with some off season topics, usually pertaining somewhat to fab, but not always hmm. as, yeah. as we like in the, in the off season is the only time that we get to talk about players that aren't available on the waiver wire (laughs) during the season we get to talk about some of the more popular uh players in the off season a little bit so uh yeah and uh during the season uh, i write a weekly fab article for pitcher list uh comes out uh, sunday afternoons it's fantastic well uh, once again thank you so much for joining us it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure long overdue uh so our apologies on that front um, but, uh, always, always great to hear the insight from people who have the lived experience of doing the, you know, the thing that we're talking about. So really, really appreciate that. Uh, Alexander, we, uh, we all know where we can find on the wire and where we can find Kevin and where we can find, uh, uh, Adam. Could you let the people know where they could find us? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.